Good morning, church. Man, I'm so glad that you guys are here today to celebrate our risen Savior together uh, and to dig into the Word of God and see what He's going to reveal to us. And thanks to Greg, we now know why the giving comes before the sermon. <laughs> no pressure on me, I guess, that way. I don't know. No, we're so glad that you are here today. Man, what a, what a great holiday to, to move into, to proclaim and tell the story of Jesus Christ. To say we worship the King in all of His glory for all that He's done for us. We come together as the body of believers today to do just that, to lift His name up in praise and adoration, to dig into the Word of God, to discover, God, what is it you want me to do in my life to do just this thing, to worship the King? We also want to say thanks for our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us and being a part of our fellowship. Uh, Our hope, of course, would be if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our family right here at Cross Point to join in telling the story with us, the story of peace and hope that is Jesus Christ. Uh, We all have different gift sets, but collectively we are the body of Christ, and we use those gift sets to tell that story of Jesus. So again, thanks, to be, thanks for being here today again to tell uh, the story of Jesus collectively as the body of Christ. We're going to be in Matthew chapter tw- uh, 2 to start off this morning. I hope you got your Bibles and will turn with me there to uh, Matthew chapter 2. We're also going to be in Psalm 63 in a moment, so I hope you put your finger in that text. But uh, we'll start off with that foundational story uh, today as we talk about and begin discussion. Uh, this whole month talking about what does it mean to worship the King for you and I. In our life, if we're going to truly worship the King, uh, it calls us to do some things differently in our life, to truly uh, change the way that we think and act and talk. Uh, And so as we begin to dig in this morning to the idea of worshiping the King, uh, I want us to really begin to soften our hearts and our minds to think about, for you specifically, what does it mean for me to change and be different uh, in the world in which I live? Now, today, again, we're kicking off this series, and so I thought I would lighten the mood just a little bit by offering a little two-minute video by Tim Hawkins, who is a uh, Christian comedian. And in the video, he talks a little bit uh, about the different styles of worship that does exist out there uh, amongst different churches. So take a moment, and uh, let's watch. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship, some people more subtle, and it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? <laughs> Some of you are trying. You're like, I can't. I want to. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Stay here at my church. Music is rocking. Start slow. Hands in the pockets, little elbow flap. You're fine. Very subtle. Get warmed up. Get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready? Carry the TV. Carry the TV. That's our first one. Very subtle. Go to big screen. Big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big. My fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Grace. Next one's hold my baby. Hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. 
Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. You take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five. Press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window. Wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so funny. He, is a, he does a great job. But, you know, we, we can poke a little fun at worship styles at times. But the truth is, folks, all of it is good when you worship the king. When you give him glory, that's what matters. When you want to lift his name on high, when in every piece of your life you say, I love my Savior. And I want to give Jesus all the accolades that I can possibly give him, no matter what's going on around me, no matter who is looking at me, I want the world to know that I've placed him as high as I possibly can in my life. And I want to give him all the glory that's due his name. Let's begin this morning in our story, the foundational story we'll use this month, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. Oh, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time that the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What an incredible story that we get to tell as believers this time of year. What's tragic is we live in a culture, in a world, who believes that God is made for them. In other words, if I just pray the right prayer, if I read enough of the Bible, if I attend enough church services, if I go on enough mission trips, then that's all the dials I need to to turn in order to God to hear me and grant me what I've asked for. It's kind of like, in their mind, having a cosmic genie. All I need to do is say the word when I do the right things, and God will do exactly what I want him to do. But here's the reality, church, is that we exist for him. 
to worship Him, to glorify Him. We're created to lift His name on high, to make Him known and His story known. You see, worship is not something we do, but it is our identity. It is who we are every single day of our life. Not just something we do on Sunday morning, but it defines us in a world that doesn't know God or act like they desire to know God. Worship is a posture of life where we constantly let God know how grateful we are that Jesus indeed did come down and became the light of the world like we talked about last week. We live a life that is so full of blessings and gratefulness that we can't help but be celebratory in our life and worshipful in our life. For some of us, though, that, that idea, we, we've got to cut through the machoism, and, and I don't need to do that in order to let God know how awesome He truly is. Sometimes showing that celebrative attitude, becoming emotive in our life full of worship can feel awkward. But I want to encourage us as we kick this lesson in this series off this week, Worship the King, to understand that God loves it when our life posture shows our need for Him. God is absolutely elated when His creation in our own life lets Him know how much we love Him and need Him and admire Him, how much we want to truly worship Him and give everything about us to him. David, who reigned, King David in the Old Testament, he reigned about 1000 BC. And he was on the throne for about 37 years. He had many children. Uh, And his firstborn that was in line for the throne was killed by the secondborn. Now, the secondborn, his name is Absalom. Ironically, in Hebrew, his name translated means father of peace. But if you know the story of Absalom, you know he was far from a peaceful person. Absalom desired to have the throne from his father. As a matter of fact, he plotted to kill David so he could get that throne. And you look in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and you see the story begin to unfold. Absalom, for years, places himself at the city gate in Jerusalem. Uh, and everyone knows that he's the prince. Everyone knows that he's in line for the throne. But many people from Judea come to Jerusalem in order to, to be heard by the king. David is going to listen to their case and make a judgment call one way or another. They see Absalom first at the gate. They recognize who he is. He goes to greet them. He hugs them, text says. He listens to their story, and he says, you know, if I was the ruler of Israel, I would judge in your favor. He says that over and over for years, until finally the whole nation loves Absalom. He he goes away to a different town, gathers some 200 plus men to come back to take the throne away from his father to kill David and take control. But there are lots of other people in the land who love David. And so one comes back to let David know, this is what your son Absalom is planning, and he's on his way to Jerusalem now. And so David, with a broken heart and tears, gathers his family and those that will follow him out into the wilderness. And he wants to leave Jerusalem because he doesn't want any harm to come to the people. He doesn't want the town to be destroyed. And so reluctantly, he leaves the city that's named after him. While he is out in the wilderness, in this dry and barren land, 
David writes Psalm 63. It is a beautiful psalm where David draws no attention to himself, but simply gives God the accolade that's due his name. He worships the true king, who David knows and acknowledges as the true king. It's interesting, Psalm 63. Some of our documents reveal that first century house churches, many of them would begin Sunday morning worship by singing this psalm. It's just that important. And so church this morning, I would encourage you, if you've got your own Bible, I would encourage you to mark this psalm as one that would be paramount in your own life, recognizing who God is and what he can and will be to you. And so imagine David fleeing his throne, knowing that his son wants to kill him, leaving his city, going out into a desert like you see in the picture, and writing this psalm. He says in verse 1, O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. My guess would be in a room with this many people in it, there are some of us who may be saying the same thing in our own life. Maybe in your life you feel desolate. You feel tired and weary. You're tired of fighting those same battles each and every day. Maybe you feel dry and alone and wandering. You're saying in your own life right now, man, I, I thought it would be different than it, it is right now for me. I, I thought I would be further along in my life story. I, I, thought, I thought things would be different. Maybe I would have found my purpose in life or I would have found my, my chosen mate for life. Maybe by now I would have had children. Maybe by now my finances would have been more in line. I thought by now things would be different, God, but I'm feeling alone and weary, and I feel like I'm in a wandering state. I mean, honestly, right now, it's a tough time of year for some families. Some have experienced Thanksgiving and will experience Christmas the first time without their loved one. And in this moment, it's very difficult. They are dry and desolate and wondering where God is in the picture. And maybe, maybe you find yourself in that moment. And like David, you're crying out to God, I need you. And then in verse 2 and 3, David says, For I've seen you in your sanctuary, and I've gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. Can you imagine being in a moment like this and yet able to say about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, God, I know who you are, and I trust that you will deliver me in this moment. You are better than life. Now, I know that you remember that first love that you had. Go all the way back there for some of us. Maybe junior high school, maybe high school, maybe college. But you remember that first person that you were in love with you would do anything for this person, right? You would even go to the restaurant that you hated because that's where she wanted to go and you would smile the whole time, right? Whatever it took, that's what you were going to do. You would climb the highest mountain for this person. You wanted them to know that you loved them. Or maybe you remember that favorite vacation spot and you think, man, one day we're going to get back there because that was an incredible memory. It was a great time or that favorite restaurant and you've got it on your plans to get back there at some point. Whatever that 
greatest, best thing that you remember in your life, David says, God, your love is better than life. The happy moment that you're remembering right now, God is eons better than that. And David wants to reveal that in his writing. He says, I want to proclaim proclaim you from the highest rooftop. I want to be everything that you've called me to be because you are incredibly awesome. Look at verse 4. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. David doesn't care who's around him, who's watching, but he says, God, I will praise you all of my days. And I will lift my hands to you because you're an incredible God who does so much in my life as a blessing. I know I've told my story about being in the wilderness and coming out of that wilderness, being called by God and some 25 years ago to begin part-time work at a church. And I worked with teenagers for uh, the first 20 years of my ministry. But that first five or six months of my ministry in a church, I mean, I, I couldn't believe the person I had been, and yet God was using me in kingdom work to this day. I still am amazed. But as you tell the story of Jesus to those teens, as you... Uh, go tenting with them or canoeing or hanging out and just living life with those teens. It really hit home. And I remember one Monday morning after a weekend with those teens, I walked into my office and I shut the door and I remembered this text, Psalm 63. God, you are better than life. And I remember falling on my knees with my hands raised up, tears streaming down my face, reciting this text. Because God is indeed better than life. He is an incredible God who wants to do so much in your life. Paul sends Timothy on a, on a messenger trip to a church. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul reminds that church and us today, I want people everywhere to raise holy hands in prayer. I don't, I don't want you to care who's around you, but I want you to praise God for all that he's done for you. I want you to worship the king, not harbor any anger, not harbor any controversy, but just be who God's created you to be in the moment. Paul says, Men, I want you to lead your family. I want you to lead your spouse spiritually. I want you, men, to lead your children in the story of God. I want you to step forward, not caring what anyone else around you might say. Drop the machoism and become my man. Lead. I want you to think about, as a parent or a grandparent, the first time uh, that child reached up to you You remember that moment. I mean, it was a crushing moment. I mean, in a good way, right? I mean, the the kid raises their hands to you, and you're looking at the child, and they're saying, I want you. I need you. I want to be a part of you. I want to get close to you. It's a visible sign that they want your attention, your affection, and your love. Bless you. I want you to think for a minute, Mary and baby Jesus, and knowing everything that Mary knows about the story, looking down and seeing the Son of God raise his hands up to her. What a beautiful picture. Jesus saying, right now, Mom, I need you. But then later in life, Mary, standing at the foot of the cross with her son on that cross, and she lifting her arms up to Jesus and saying,
Son, now I need you. See, our Father loves to see His creation reach out to Him through our actions that say, we adore you, we celebrate you, we want you in our life. His love moves us into action. It means that I don't care what anyone else around me thinks about me because I love my Lord and Savior. I want to worship the King in my life. James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 4, you draw close to God and he will draw close to you. It is a moment of union when we fully surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we say in our own life, I want my life every single day, not just Sunday morning, to be a worship to my God. You see, with a, a worshipful life posture, we are offering praise to our Creator. We are letting him know how much he means to us. And the writer in Psalm 141, verses 1 and 2, David says, O Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you, and my upraised hands an evening offering. David said, my life, the way I interact in this world, is a worship to you, and I have seen you in many ways in those worshipful stances in your life. Every Tuesday night, right behind this wall, there's a conference room, and our shepherds gather in there to specifically pray over the families, you, here at Cross Point. Maybe things that you're going through, maybe difficulties in life, maybe celebrations. Every single Tuesday, they're meeting to pray. But I have been in those meetings before when I've seen those men get on their knees specifically to pray about certain things. They're men who want to fully worship God every single day of their life. And they don't mind to do certain things a certain way in order to get the point across that they love God with all of their heart. He's better than life. I've, I've seen you on your hands and knees as you've taught in our kids' ministry revealing the story of Jesus to those young children. And that's worship. I've seen you on your hands and knees with teenagers, living life with them, journeying with them, teaching them the story of God and how we're called to live. And that is worship. I've seen many of you in other service opportunities, maybe, maybe even in the line, feeding homeless people in downtown Dallas or on a street in Campamento, Honduras, sharing the message of Jesus and love. Or maybe, as you've done this morning already, adopting orphans who can't hear in Africa in order to let them know that people love them. You see, when we decide to take a worshipful stance in life, then God is glorified. You are worshiping the King in those moments. You see, with a worshipful life posture, we're also declaring battle with the one who reigns in this world. We're declaring to God that we need his help in every possible way. And some of you are in tough spots in your life right now. For some of you, you've got things going on in your life and you're asking the question, I'm not sure if I can make it to the end of the week. I'm not sure if I can make it to the end of the month or through this holiday season. God, I need your help right now. There's an interesting story in Exodus chapter 17. The Israelites and Moses have come out of Egypt and they're in the the wilderness of sin. 
And they're at a place called Rephidim. Rephidim translated just means couches. It means it was kind of spread out. There's a, a lot of area there to kind of camp out in, if you will. But they had run out of water. They had no water. And this is the moment, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story, where Moses talks to God and he says, look, the people are complaining because there is no water. And God says, take your staff and strike the rock. And when you do that, water will come out of the rock and, and my people will, will be taken care of. And so Moses does that exact thing. Sure enough, water comes out of the rock and the Israelites are taken care of. But in the same chapter, while they're at Rephidim, the Amalekites show up to do battle with the Israelites. They want to take them out. And so Joshua is in charge of the military forces, and uh, Moses instructs him to go and do battle with the Amalekites to save all of Israel. And our story picks up in chapter 17 and verse 10. Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. You see what's going on here? Moses has his arms up and he's recognizing, I can't do this alone, God. I'm calling on you to help me in battle. I'm calling on you for your help. And some of you right now feel like you are in desperate battle. You've got relationships that are disintegrating in your life. Finances aren't lining up just right. You're still looking for that job. And the list goes on and on. You feel like in your life you may be losing. So you cry out to God and you acknowledge his help. Maybe it's time for you and I to change our life posture. To every single day of our life, say, God, I need you. I'm declaring battle on the one who is up against me right now, and I need your help in that process. I acknowledge you as King and Lord of my life. And so every single day becomes a worship to God. On my own, God, I know I can't do it, but I'm trusting you to do it with me and for me. See, the one who is within me is greater than the one who is within the world. Right, church? That's right. Jesus Christ and his spirit that lives within me is greater than anything that the enemy can send our way. It's so important that we realize that God is for you and wants to bless you. Look at our story in verse 12 beginning. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Now, church, this is a great example, too, that not only do I need God in my life, but I need you in my life. There are going to be moments, church, where I need you to hold my arms up. I'm going to need you by my side, kicking me back into play when I forget that it's all about worshiping God. When I complain or or become distracted with what the world throws at me, I need to be reminded by you that we're here to worship the King. And that's what our life should be all about. It is a posture every single day of worship. And that's why coming together matters. So many who claim to be Christians decide that they can do this on their own. Folks, that's not biblical. We've got to hang together and stay together. We've got to journey together. Being together matters. Journeying together is very important. 
our worship as the body of Christ so incredibly important. I hold you up, you hold me up. I mean, think about historically. What does hands up mean? I mean, you and I have seen pictures from conflict and wartime. Hands up means surrender. Uh, I don't have a weapon. I'm giving up. I don't have any shenanigans I'm going to pull on you. Matter of fact, I'm under your control now. I'm giving up and I'm giving myself to you. I surrender. But it also means victory. We've got the Olympics coming up in February, and you're going to see a lot of this happening uh, in those games. People who are victorious, they're coming in first place, and they're excited and happy about that. Now, here is the cool thing. In God's presence, it means both. Every single time. You see, at the moment that you surrender to Jesus, you've gained the victory. The moment you say, you know what, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is the King of kings, the God of all gods. He is the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. The minute you acknowledge that in your life and you make a decision every single day to worship the King, then you've already gained the victory because you've surrendered to Him. And in God's picture, that's the same as victory. You and I saying, not for my sake, but for His sake. What a beautiful picture God has created for us. And we're called each and every day to give him everything that he's given us, to live a life of gratitude, to say, God, I want to serve you in every possible way. And I don't care who's looking at me, who's watching me, what's going on in life, because I'm going to give you the praise, because I've seen you in your sanctuary. I beheld your power and glory. My lips will always glorify you. You are the God, and my life is yours. You with me, church? You willing to live a life that is worshipful every single day? Yes, we are. We give God praise today, calling Jesus Christ our Savior and our King. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And uh, as they come, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. Uh, And as we sing this final, this last song, I want to remind us that there are many in this room who, who have a hiccup in your life. You're you're, you're struggling somewhere. You're not able to fully engage in worshiping Jesus each and every day. Maybe it's guilt that you're hanging on to. Maybe it's something happening in your life. But go to one of our shepherds. Let them pray for you and over you. Let them remind you that you are a son and daughter of the Most High God, that you are a son and daughter of the King. Today, we begin worshiping the King, and it will not stop today. It will go on for the rest of our lives. Let's stand together.